The following is a message by Professor Zach Keel from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We're going to turn in uh, Acts this morning, Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, we'll read verses 8 through 20, 8 through 20 of Acts uh, chapter 19, beginning uh, in verse 8 of Acts 19. And when he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Blessed Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we can come together and meditate upon it and hear your truth. And we thank you that it is a means of grace to us by which we are sustained by the grace of Jesus Christ, so that in Christ we might continue to walk before you as your children, to please you more and more in our thoughts, our words, and in our motives. And we pray that you would bless us by your word now, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this point of the uh, semester, you could probably, are feeling that you could use a a pick-me-up, a jolt, something to give you some energy to carry you through the end of the semester. Indeed, indeed, that's the way we feel. It seems like most of life, we're always looking for things to give us some more energy or to uh, raise our metabolism and those sorts of things. Well, we feel this in our Christian life as well, don't we? We always would 
wish we had a little bit more power. Our weakness, our stumbles always make us want to grab for something that will help us along. And we try to get creative at times. Well, this passage here in Acts 19 shows us where our power for Christian life comes from. And it shows us where it doesn't come from as well. So here in Acts 19, Paul is spending his time in Ephesus. This is his two years where he's lecturing in this lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, He's very much here taking on the image of a Greek uh, philosopher or teacher, uh, uh, um, one who's speaking daily, reasoning about Christ, uh, both to Jews and Greeks, about how Jesus is the Christ, etc., But Paul wasn't here just preaching the gospel every day. He wasn't just teaching and reasoning. There was also all these uh, miracles that were happening through Paul's uh, hands. Indeed, what we see here reminds us of our Lord and the healings and exorcisms that he did. And there we call uh, Peter as well, as he healed and uh, cured uh, many people as well. But Luke uh, uses a a particular term here in... um, In verse um, 11, it says God was doing extraordinary miracles. Literally, this is a a litotes. God was doing uh, miracles that were not common. Um, And I think uh, Luke is trying to show here these are odd miracles. And definitely we can see that they're odd. For Paul wasn't just healing or exercising people, but people were taking their handkerchiefs, and aprons, basically it seems like they were stealing them from Paul. Paul was probably lecturing or working and uh, put one down and look up and where to go. And they're taking these and carrying them off to people and they're touching them and they would actually be healed. And this became known all over. These were impressive miracles, mere claws being carried um, around. Well, this miracle definitely makes us wonder, why is God healing in this way? What is going on? Uh, I mean, sure, we remember the woman who touches Jesus' garment and was healed, but this is a little different. Why, Why is God healing in this manner? Well, the following story explains what's God doing through these uncommon miracles. For there are these seven sons of Sceva. Now, these uh, traveling exorcists, seemed to be fairly famous. They traveled around and they were doing magic, healing and exercising demons. Indeed, they might, we might conceive of them as the Barlam and Bailey uh, uh, circus of magic. They were, they were well known. Uh, part of this comes out from this, uh, uh, this Skiva is supposedly a Jewish high priest. Now we know he wasn't a Jewish high priest in Jerusalem, but Jew, uh, the Jews were known and had a reputation for being particularly good magicians and good exorcists. And especially if you were a high priest, because only the high priest knew the divine name. In the first century, as you'll remember, the divine name Yahweh, they didn't say. It was ineffable. And thus only the high priest knew it, because he had to say it on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. So here it seems like they used their father's priestly, he's probably a priest or of the house of Levi, but they used this in kind of as a marketing ploy, and it seems like they're famous. But also with magic, magic again wasn't about magic tricks just for entertainment. These magic was about controlling spiritual forces through rituals and names and spells in order to benefit from them. 
So magic was secretive. Uh, every magician had their own secret uh, kind of arsenals of spells, etc. And they would go around and for money they would heal you or cast out the demons and those sorts of things. As one scholar put it, the difference between magic and religion in the first century was religion, you bow the knee and you pray to God for help. In magic, you commanded the spiritual forces and you expected results. Well, these traveling magicians are going around and they see what Paul is doing and they think, wow, there's another magician who isn't keeping his secrets very close. So they say, they're going to imitate Paul. So they go into this demon-possessed man, and they try to adjure him, literally name the name of Christ over him to cast out their demon. Again, a magical kind of idea here. But know what the demon-possessed man does. This is a humorous reaction, but very poignant. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know as well. But who are you? He doesn't recognize them. He sees their, quote, magic as powerless. Indeed, this reaction shows these seven sons of Sceva, they don't have faith in Christ. They're not believers. And they're frauds. They think they're powerful. They think they can use Christ's name for their own selfish benefit. And the demon laughs at them. And indeed, the weakness of these seven sons of Sceva, their spiritual weakness, is shown here physically. For what does this demon-possessed man does? He jumps up and he kicks their butt. It's like one of those movies where there's one guy surrounded by all these warriors and the one guy takes them all down somehow. Well, this one guy comes up, he trumps all seven, and he sends them running, naked, and beat up, wounded. There's drips of blood following them as they run. Well, you can imagine that this becomes well-known, and it does. All of Ephesus hear about this, and they magnify the name of God. They, they're fearful. But what note what Luke focuses on, it's not so much just the impact this has on Ephesus, but particularly on those who had believed. Note um, verse 18, And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging of their uh, their practices. Here the saints see this, and what do they do? They repent. They repent of what? Their own magical practices. This goes back to why were these handkerchiefs being carried away? Because the saints still had magical ideas. They thought that those handkerchiefs who touched Paul were powerful. They were still synchristic in their ideas. But once they see this, they understand that the handkerchiefs and, and, and aprons are powerless. Indeed, the Lord grants healings through these handkerchiefs for a time in order to kind of set them up. So once they see the trumping of the seven sons, they see, wait a minute, we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing. And thus now they come and they confess. They divulge their, ma their magical practices. Now divulge here is probably make public all their secret spells. Now a, a basic law of first century magic is if you divulge your secret spell to someone, it becomes powerless. You ruin it. The power is in the secrecy. 
So they come, they divulge their practices, thereby making them uh, null and void, and then they burn their books. Just like us today, to burn your books is to say, to repudiate its contents, to say these are worthless, these are harmful. And so they burn their books, and all these magical books, how much do they cost? 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, these are likely drachmas, and just by weight, uh, this one, for how much silver costs today, this would be, by weight, be $136,000 today in this. Though the buying power of this much would have been a lot more in Ephesus than $136,000 for us, maybe two or three times more. This is a lot of money that just goes up in flames. Well, why do they do this? Well, this shows true repentance and faith. They come around and they see the harmfulness of magic and they now realize that the gospel and magic cannot mix. And they see the evil of trying to combine Christianity with this pagan religious magic. And so they burn them and they set up in flames. But note here then, verse 20, how he ends with this. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. After all of this, what prevailed? It's the word. Where was the power found? It's not in these miracles even. It's through the word. And where is this demonstrated? Not so much what happens with the seven seven sons of Sceva, but with the saints that come repenting. That is where the true power is found. Because you'll note earlier in verse uh, uh, 9, when, when Paul is in the Jewish synagogue, it says the Jews became stubborn. Literally, they were hardened. They hardened their heart. Thus, what is, where is true power demonstrated? It's not in healings and miracles. It's in the word of God that can soften our heart hard hearts into heart of stones, producing fruits of faith and true repentance. This is where the power for our Christian life is found, not in all these wonders or signs and not in magical paraphernalia. Consider how the church has misunderstood this. I mean, hasn't the church ran after relics? This is what Catholic church are found. You need a relic, and those relics have power. Walk into a Christian bookstore, and what do you see? All these Christian little trinkets that are supposed to help you and give you power as you pray or in your Christian walk. Well, Paul says here, Luke says here, those are worthless. That is a pagan impulse. Indeed, Luke also makes clear that all these miracles are only done through Paul. God does them through Paul's hand. The demon recognizes Jesus whom Paul preaches, and the demon even recognizes it's Paul. No one else does these miracles. It's only through the apostolic hands that these miracles happen. But where the true power is found in the word producing fruit, repentance, and sanctification in the saints. This is where our strength is for our Christian life. Not in some sort of routine or spell or 
paraphernalia that seems to make us feel better so that then we can have more power. No, the power for our Christian life is found in his word, read and proclaimed, and in the sacraments rightly administered. For we all know how the history of the church has imputed magical ideas into the sacraments. But Paul says, no, it's the word that is our strength. And thus, when you're tired, when you're weary, remember it is the word of Christ by which you grow. It is your strength that will keep you to the end. For Christ is the word, and his grace is applied to us through the word read and proclaimed. Not magic. Let us pray. Holy Father, we do thank you that you remind us that in our frailty we often reach for things that are inappropriate Indeed, we are quick to take up pagan ideas and to think that certain aspects of life will magically help us to grow. But Lord, help us not to forsake the actual means of grace that contains the very power of God, the gospel proclaimed and read, the word of God and the whole counsel of God read and studied and lived by. This is your grace to us that strengthen us. And even when we are weak, especially when we are weak, We are then found strong in Christ. May we remember this, O Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.